All right, now, because of Pastor Jason's comments, I feel like I need to address the issue of the outline. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've been pretty committed uh, going through the book of Acts to, to preach every word, not to skip any. And Acts chapter 26, and also next week, Acts chapter 27, as we kind of wrap up the whole book, uh, chapter 26 is one story. So you got to do the whole chapter, and I couldn't fit all the verses into one single page outline. So just because the outline's bigger doesn't mean the sermon is longer, but it might. <laughs> you know, whenever we say something like, whenever we make uh, definitive statements, like I can do that, or I'd never do that. When we make definitive statements like that in life, eventually we got to prove it. Just the way life is. Uh, a few days ago, <clears throat> I, I was home and Stephen called and said, hey, Dad, uh, Jenny was, was gone. Hey, can you watch Nathan for a couple hours? <laughs> oh, are you kidding? I can do it. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, of course I can do it. I've got superior grandpa skills. I mean, are you kidding me? So he brings him over, man. First thing we do is scoop him up, take him out on the front porch, teach him how to spit over the rail. He like, he, he, smart kid. So we go in the house and it wasn't, I don't know, 10 minutes later, I kind of, I have superior grandpa skills. I've changed hundreds of diapers in my life. Not a big deal. Changed the diaper. We're playing around. Again? I mean, it's like 10 minutes later. Lay the boy on the changing thing. Peel back that diaper. And it was ungodly. <laughs> I ain't kidding. I mean, one of those, the first thing I did was go, whoop, whoop. I mean, it was one of those, man. And I don't know how this is even physically possible, but it kept getting bigger. The more I'd wipe, the more there would be. And I'd wipe and it'd grow. And, I, and, and so I'm trying, and it's halfway up his back, and I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, and I got, and I'm trying to get, and I don't even realize his neck's all, you know, and I've got him on, and I'm trying to wipe, and I'm trying to get, I mean, what in the world? I mean, so finally, then, then the, I don't even know how to explain this exactly, but I'd kind of wipe this side, and then I'd have to get this side, and this side would roll back in it. So I'd wipe, then I'd wipe and wipe and wipe, and just stand him way up, try to get up. Finally, I knew I had to get the diaper out of the way, and I'm still, I mean, this is like every 15 seconds. So I get the diaper, and I just sit it in the floor. So I'm trying, and then here comes the dog. So I'm, get away, get away. And Nathan's, you know, he, Finally, I get him all wiped up, scoot the new diaper under there, and he pees on me. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, when you say definitively, I can do that, you're going to have to prove it. It's just that way, it's just that way in life, man. That's how life is. 
Whenever we say, I can, I'll never, I'm absolutely, when we make definitive statements in life, eventually we have to prove it. The Apostle Paul made one of those very definitive statements in his introduction to the book of Romans. Look there in your outline, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. Man, that is a, that's a definitive statement. And I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Man, that, that's great. Then he continues, verse 17. This good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, as the scriptures say. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. You know, those two verses sum up Paul's entire life and his entire ministry. Here's what I suspect about that very definitive statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I went seat by seat, said, you ashamed, you ashamed, you ashamed, you ashamed, you, I bet you I couldn't find one person in this room this morning who would say, yeah, I'm ashamed. Nobody would say that. Because if you were, you wouldn't even be here. In today's text, here's what's going to happen. It's going to drive us to ask ourselves a question. I can say it. No, hey, I'm not ashamed. But does my life prove that I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because when you make a definitive statement like that, eventually you got to prove it. So let's kind of get caught up on where we're at. Um, so uh, God told Paul, uh, you're going to go to Jerusalem, ultimately to Rome, and every city you go to, you're going to face jail and suffering. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He, he goes to the temple court uh, to take place in some Jewish ceremonies. Uh, man, the, the Jewish leaders realize who he is. There's a big riot. He gets arrested. He stands a little kind of a mock trial uh, there in Jerusalem. Uh, the Roman kind of governor at the time was a guy named Felix. He takes him to Caesarea and says, come on back here, you leaders. If you really want to have a trial, they come. They have a trial. He's, he's a politician, so he's trying to please everybody. So he doesn't make a decision he just keeps Paul in jail for two years. During all that, Paul had, uh, he had appealed to Caesar. Look, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm obviously not going to get a fair trial here. They're, they're trying to kill me. You might let them. I appeal to Caesar. And then Felix leaves him in jail for two years. Then he leaves another governor named Festus comes and he's kind of interested in Jewish things and stuff and he's got a buddy his name is King Agrippa and King Agrippa was kind of the he was a Jewish guy so he was kind of a local king a local ruler really though under the authority of Rome he kind of he was kind of a puppet king uh, to Rome 
So he says, I would like to talk to Paul. And he says, you will tomorrow. Festus says, you will tomorrow. So, man, it's a big ordeal. I mean, all the pomp and circumstance you would imagine. Everybody comes in, all the, all the leaders of the city there in Caesarea. Caesarea was a very chic kind of hip city um, named after Caesar. I mean, so it was very Roman, very modern, all that. And uh, so everybody there, anybody who's anybody, man, they're there. King Agrippa comes in with his sister Bernice, who was just kind of his sister, if you remember from last week. And they come in, everybody's there, finest attire, great purple linens. I mean, the best of everything all around them in this auditorium. Then they bring in Paul. Been in jail for two years. Probably has on the same clothes. Chains. So let's pick up the story right there. Because what we're going to find out is Paul's not ashamed. And we're going to learn some things today about how we prove it. I mean, watching Paul before King Agrippa, we find seven ways to prove that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the first way we prove it. By speaking the truth in love. Look what happens. Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, now stop right there. I don't know what kind of hand gesture that was. Um, I'm guessing after two years in jail, I don't know what kind of hand gesture I would have had. <laughs> but he was a totally innocent man. I mean, in jail for two years, Paul likely was given some kind of acknowledgement uh, of his position and his authority and, you know, he was, you know, whatever kind of hand gesture that is. You know, I mean, I don't know what it was. Wh whatever that was, he gives a hand gesture. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. Verse 3. For I know you are an expert. Now this is big. Now pay attention to this. For I know you are an expert in all Jewish customs and controversies. Now Agrippa, he was a Jewish politician. So he was well informed about all that was going on. Every controversy. Who was who and which side. And, and so he was very well of all their customs. And because he wanted to favor the people. And he was very aware of all the controversies. Uh, now, please listen to me patiently. Verse 4. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, remember, he's being accused of breaking their laws. I mean, the, the Pharisees were the ones who kept the law. I mean, man, that was their gig. Verse 6, now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promises made to our ancestors. In fact, 
That is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have yet, your majesty. They accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any one of you that God can raise the dead? I mean, he's just saying, look, if y'all believe the scripture like you claim to believe the scripture, man, it's all through the scripture. Now, when they use the word scripture, they were talking about the Old Testament, but that's all. I mean, the prophets raised people from the day of life. I mean, that, that God had already done that. And he's saying, I believe this. That's why I'm on trial. And you guys believe this. <laughs> what? This doesn't make any sense. Now, but notice this. Notice how kindly and lovingly Paul addresses Agrippa. But also notice how quickly he gets to the truth. I mean, bam, right out of the gates, he goes to the scripture. I believe the scripture. You say you believe the scripture. What, what's going on here? You, you, you see, <laughs> Paul's not arguing for acquittal. He's not acting like a lawyer. He's saying, I'm a scholar of the scripture, and these things fulfill the prophet's what they told us. I'm just saying, here's what the prophets told us. This all took place in Jesus. Paul is saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is the heart of all that the Old Testament prophets were saying. You religious leaders, you just missed it. I mean, they missed it because they were focused on being good religious Jews. They missed it because they were more focused on the current customs and controversies of the day than what God was doing. They missed it so badly, they crucified God's son. Wow. All right, now's the time to look in the mirror because it's so easy for us to look at those Jewish leaders and be astounded at how completely they missed what God was doing, how they missed the power of the gospel. But like those Jewish leaders, the church can be so focused on trying to affect current events and deal with current controversies that we lose our focus of the gospel. Now here's a Here's a temptation for me. Now, you need to know this about me. I love America. I'm a flag-waving, gun-toting, American anthem-singing, proud citizen of the USA. That's me. Yeah, right. Listen now. I have a genuine, heartfelt, gut-wrenching concern for America. I believe America is broke, woke, and becoming a joke. America, listen, America is out, America's out of gaslight is flashing on the dashboard and we can't afford to fill up because we are morally bankrupt. I mean, for crying out loud, we have pregnant emoji men now. I mean, what the heck is that all about? Do you see this week a woman testified uh, before Congress this week that she believed that she was supposed to be an expert that a man could in fact get pregnant and have an abortion. Now, while these 
delusional people wax eloquent in the halls of the U.S. Capitol, we can't get formula for our real babies who are in real need. They're hungry. They're delusional. Now, as you can see, I'm passionate about these issues. I believe all the issues facing America should concern the church. But listen, I believe more strongly, I believe more passionately that the answer for all these things is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must be very careful that we don't become like those Jewish religious leaders. We have to be very careful not to focus so much on current issues and controversies that we miss what God's doing. Here's a good test. If your takeaway from that little rant I just went on is that America's broke, woke, and becoming a joke, then you need to look in the mirror. Can I get an amen? Not much of an amen, but kind of an amen. You see how easy it is? Things we're passionate about, things that are important, get placed above the gospel. And the next thing you know, we lose what God's doing. Second way we prove that we're not ashamed of the gospel, uh, by being honest about our sin. Look at verse 9. This is Paul continuing his testimony. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in in Jerusalem. I authorized by by the leading priest. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Verse 11. Many times I had... I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Ooh. Paul's pretty honest about his sin, wasn't he? Now hear me. I'm not suggesting that we bring up our sin in every conversation we have. There are times bringing up our sin is inappropriate and weird, right? I mean, hey, how you doing? Man, I want you to know I cheated on my spouse three times, but by the grace of God, I'm saved. I'm Bob. (laughs) I mean, but in the context, listen, this is so important. But in the context of the gospel, it's very important. For us to be honest about our sin. It's, impo- it's so important to say. My sin calls me. To be separated from God. My sin calls me to be far from God. But Jesus found me and saved me. You see it's a. It's a huge deal for unbelievers. To hear an honest heart. About our own sin. Why? I mean, why does that matter? Well, I put down two things here. An honest heart matters because first, 
people assume self-righteousness. In fact, you answer this question for me. What is the most common word an unbeliever uses to describe a Christian? Hypocrite. Right? I mean, they assume self-righteousness. Unbelievers assume that Christians think we're better than them. It's important for us to have an honest, humble heart about our sin. So, we can be honest about the, our sin. Then, <laughs> we can be honest about the joy of Jesus taking the sin away and replacing it with the gift of salvation. That's a big deal. That's why I love going to Celebrate Recovery on Sunday nights. Man, if you, you should go to Celebrate Recovery on Sunday nights sometimes. You, you know why? That's all you hear. I mean, people full of the joy of the Lord saying, hey, let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you how God saved me. Let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you how God fixed me. Let me tell you. I mean, man, and they're, they're not ashamed of that. They're thrilled to death. God took it away and replaced it with himself. <laughs> man, and you hear, man, I'm telling you, I'm just, I, I, I go in there, I get all jacked. And they're excited about it. They're all jacked up about it. I love it. Here's another reason we need to be honest about uh, heart matters. <laughs> when we're honest about our sin, people listen about our Savior. There's something about it. I don't know if I even understand all this dynamic, but there's something about an honest, sincere heart about our sin that gets us an honest, sincere hearing about our Savior. Because people go, hmm, well, they're not self-righteous. They seem honest. Maybe, maybe I need to know the rest of the story, man. what comes after the sin. Here's the third way to prove we are not ashamed, by telling our Jesus story. Um, so this is the third time in Acts Paul has told in detail his Jesus story. Look at verse 12. One day uh, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest, about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Verse 15, who are you, Lord, I ask? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to, uh, to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 
Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Whoa! I mean, man, you read it. You just, wow! I mean, that never gets, I don't even care if it's in there three times, six times, 30 times. You never get tired of reading that. That is incredible. Maybe, maybe. You hear that and you go, man. Man, if I just had a Jesus story like that. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, if I had a Jesus story like that, I'd be telling it so often people get tired of hearing it. All right, if you're listening, say amen. amen. If you're a believer, you have a Jesus story. Now listen to me. It doesn't have to be dramatic to be effective. You just stay by still saved by grace, still hell bound, still need a savior. God found you just like he found Paul. Maybe there wasn't a light. Maybe there wasn't a voice. Maybe same thing happened, though. Let me tell you why. If you didn't have a dramatic salvation experience, it can still be very effective. There are good moral people who don't know Jesus. And a Paul story doesn't affect them. You know why? Because they go, I wouldn't kill anybody. I'm a good person. I, I, I wouldn't chase people down just because they believed in Jesus. I'm, I try to help people. I'm a good person. But when our Jesus story is, I used to be just like you. I was a good person, but I was lost. I, <laughs> in fact, you, you and I probably could have been neighbors and lived the same life, but I, I just didn't know I needed Jesus. Let me tell you my story. Now, which one do you think is more effective? Hmm. Yeah. Fourth way to prove we're not ashamed is by living what we say we believe. Acts 26, verse 19. And also, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. <laughs> Paul obeyed, and his life reflected what he said he believed. Verse 20. I preached first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. There's proof. The good things we do don't save us. It just proves that we are saved. By the way, the opposite's true, right? When we act like jerks to people, they could care less what we say we believe. It's happened to me many, many times. Somebody will come up to me and say, hey, aren't you the pastor over at Osborne? And if I don't know them, I kind of know what's happening when they ask me that. They always say, uh, you know such and such? Yeah, I know them. They, they come to your church, right? Let me tell you what they did to me. Let me tell you what they said to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Man, I, we're not perfect. You know, we're just forgiven. 
we can prove that we're not ashamed by living what we say we believe, where that conversation never has to take place. You see, it's an old cliche, but it's true. If being a Christian were a crime, is there enough evidence against you to convict you? Fifth way to prove we're not ashamed, uh, by standing on the truth when we get pushback. Acts 26, verse 21. Uh, Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. Well, I'd say that qualifies as pushback, right? Verse 22 But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Verse 23, uh, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. There's the truth. Verse 24, suddenly, suddenly, get this now, suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. I'd say that's pushback. Verse 25, but Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. There's pushback and truth. Yeah, I'll tell you, um, I've seen this happen so many times. Somebody says, yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I believe the truth of God's word. But when somebody pushes back, they crumble like a wet noodle. Let me just remind you of something that's really important. Look at this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Right? I mean, how about this? Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Therefore, anything contrary to what God says is not true. If God's word is true, anything contrary to that is not true. The word of God doesn't change. It doesn't have to be updated. The word of God is supreme to our feelings it is more powerful than the wisdom of the wisest people on earth the bible alone gives us the answer to the three greatest plagues of this world sin sorrow and death that's what god's word is you know it's kind of a new thing now though it's kind of you see it everywhere i hear people say this all the time I, yeah i accept jesus but i reject the bible i mean that's a thing right now What they mean is they want the benefit of knowing Jesus, but the Bible contradicts their lifestyle, so they reject that. So instead of repenting, they think they can have Jesus but reject the Bible. They are wrong, wrong, wrong. You don't get Jesus without the Bible. It's his word. How can you separate God from what he says? You can't. You can't separate God and his word. The Bible gives us the very words of life 
And if we compromise the word of God, we compromise the very faith that it teaches and the power of the gospel that it presents. I'm telling you, man, if you are unashamed of the gospel, you're going to get pushback. In our world, you're especially going to get pushback about the Bible. Strong, strong is the word. Stand strong on the truth of God's word and God will empower you to speak the truth in love, especially when there's pushback. The sixth way to prove we're not ashamed. Uh, Speak boldly with a sincere heart. Look at verse 26. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. Uh, For they were not done in a corner. I mean, in other words, Paul's just saying, look, Agrippa, I know you're an astute king. I know you're well aware of everything that's going on. And you've known everything that's going on through John the Baptist and Jesus and everything that happened. Those things didn't happen in a corner. They happened in plain sight. Verse 27. King, now look at this, man. He gets it real personal. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? It's a rhetorical question. And he answers it. I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think I can pers- you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Now, let me give you a little history lesson here, a little recent history. So the King James Version, it's a great translation of the Bible. Um, I think modern translations are a little better for us uh, just because we don't speak Elizabethan English, but it's certainly a good translation used for 500 years. And, and in verse 28, the King James Version said, Agrippa said, thou almost persuadest me. I can't hardly say it right. Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. Poems and songs have been written about this. Preachers have appealed and, and pleaded with people for centuries. Don't be Agrippa. Don't be almost persuaded. Go all in. The problem is that's not what the verse says. and It's not what it means. That's disappointing, isn't it? Because it's good preaching. And then Paul says, to give some clarity to that, Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these change. I mean, so, Paul, so Agrippa's being sarcastic. He's not saying, I'm almost there. I mean, just preach, sing one more verse just as I am, and I'll probably get there. <laughs> He's saying, yeah, you, you think that's going to persuade me? No. And Paul said, look, I'm not just talking. Look, anybody hears this? Uh, I don't care if you do it. I don't care if you're slow as a snail or quick as lightning. If you get there, man, praise God. That's why I'm here. Mm. King Agrippa (laughs) thinks he's at a trial where he's in charge. He doesn't know Paul's at a revival service where God's in charge. One more thing. Last thing to prove that we're not ashamed. By leaving the results to God. Now look what happens. Um, then, king, then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. 
They just heard in a powerful way the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and walked away. And they think the biggest deal is Paul could have been set free. He's not interested in being free. He's interested in getting to Rome where God said he was going to go. Now listen to me. That same power that compelled Paul to preach the gospel to the king is in you right now. We've been given this amazing privilege by Jesus to be his witnesses. What will you do with that honor? So two final thoughts on sharing our Jesus story. Here's the first one. Write this down. I know you probably won't do it. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I hope you do. I hope you know that you can. I hope you know you've got something to say because you know Jesus. I'll just leave it at that. Secondly, if you will, it will change you. I'm just telling you, man. It just does something in you. And when you get to heaven, you know what's going to happen? You're going to meet people. Hey, you didn't know it, but what you said to me stuck. I'm here because you told me about Jesus. I'm here because you took time. I'm here because you took a risk. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Prove it. Thank you, Father, for your great... Love for us, the truth of the gospel. We love you. God, empower us to be your witnesses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.